We're going to be in the scriptures tonight, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, if you want to get your scriptures out, and uh, we'll get there just in a moment. 2 Peter chapter 3, please, 2 Peter chapter 3. Thank you for your faithfulness tonight. Uh, come to church. I know some of you had a long work day and getting the kids, you know, fed, right? And uh, ready for church and, and being here. Appreciate your faithfulness. And I do kind of have a different perspective being in the local church world for nine years, now camp ministry. So I can appreciate some of those midweek services, long days of being here. And so we trust God will use his word in a special way in your heart and your life and the encouragement that we all need. I said the encouragement that we all need, right? Sometimes we just need the encouragement. And just by being here, your presence is already an encouragement to me. Um, I get the uh, privilege to travel around. But just knowing that there are people of like-minded faith all around this state and really the Midwest, uh, it's an encouragement to me. You know, I'm not the only one who believes that a Jewish carpenter rose from the dead and that he is the eternal son. And that he's coming again. And y'all encourage me by just showing up and saying, I believe the gospel. I believe truth. I believe that God is who he is and he sent his son. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Even by gathering, we don't think of it, but you, you, you are a testimony of Jesus Christ. I just praise the Lord for that. And once again, we trust God to use this word in a special way. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, let's read a couple verses. We're going to be kind of working our way through this passage um, as we have time. And once again, we'll see my energy levels. We'll check the time. We got dodgeball afterwards, okay? And so we'll hopefully have a great, great time with the kids. But certainly I love the opportunity to just share God's word. And we'll trust God to use it in a special way. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 1, the Bible says this, this second epistle, beloved. Now, we have to make sure we always just pay attention to the scripture. This second epistle, okay, that's second, which means Peter wrote what? Yeah, he wrote two. He wrote one before this. So we already have that one. We're going to be in this one. But then he calls the readers his beloved, his beloved. And I think we just sometimes gloss over those verses so quickly because Peter's going to really deal with some serious stuff in chapter three. And the fact that he just calls the, his readers beloved shows his love as an elder, a pastor, an apostle for the people that he's ministering to. He loved these people. Sometimes we forget about that. Um, it is Martin Lloyd-Jones who said one of the most important things about preaching is not that you love preaching, it's that you love the people you're preaching to, right? That was not as eloquent as Martin Lloyd-Jones would say it, okay? But you get the point. He loved the people. He loved the people. He loved the people. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one to another. Well, Peter, Peter understood that. He knew that. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. I kind of want to just preach the intent, the sermon, the thesis, the, the, the main point of what Peter, I think, was trying to get across in this passage, and that is simply he wanted to stir you up. Okay. Um, now, it's Wednesday night. <laughs> how many are feeling just a little tired? You can be honest, just a little tired. Like you're here because it's what you should do and you obey the Lord and gather, but I get it, it's a little tired. Now, this may not be like stirred up in the sense of some emotional appeal, some quick, uh, fast, easy go away type of spiritual high. I think that's not really what Peter's intent is, but he really wants to drive home this this point of whatever he's about to talk about ought to have this, 
movement amongst our spiritual affections and as he deals with the mind that the biblical truth that he's about to present to us ought to have the longevity to move us and keep moving us forward as Christians, okay? Now, some of you have probably known the Lord longer than I've been alive. I'm age 41. Has anybody known the Lord longer than I've been alive? Stay, stay, still at it? Very good. All right. Some of you are willing to admit that. Some of you are not willing to admit that. Okay. And so you're like, not me, not me. I'm still going, all right? And so, hey, listen, but I tell you what, you're still in church. Because you know there's a lot of people who, who, who know the Lord, but they're not in church today. Did you know that? There's a lot of people who've experienced a new birth, but it's like they've lost their zeal and their commitment for the Lord. Not that every day is all the spiritual high all the time, but I'm talking about a consistent, dedicated zeal on the inside for decades for the Lord. When, when Peter starts talking about stirring us up, it is that reality that I think he's really driving at us. And certainly there is going to be highs and spiritual affection modes towards the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing people saved and getting right with the Lord and having those seasons like that. But what Peter's about to deal with with, with the, the area of stirring us up, I think it should be just very powerful in all of our lives. And here's what he says. I want to stir you up, uh, your pure minds, by way of what? Now, if you, if you haven't noticed yet, I'm real interactive, which just means I feel like you need to be with me. Matthew, you with me? Matthew's going to be at snow camp, right, Matthew? You going to bring that gigantic violin again? You can tell my musical literacy right here. Okay, so Matthew, we'll see you. Now, are you going to play dodgeball night, Matthew? Okay, you're on the list. Okay, you're on the list. You're on the hit list. Thank you, Matthew. I'll pick on you the rest of the night. Okay. And so, Matthew, you with me? All right, so Peter says, I want to stir you up by recollection, by calling you to remember some things. So that's a good way of saying this. I ain't going to preach anything new tonight. <laughs> or certainly something maybe you not have heard. Now, there's a guy in the room named Martin. Have you met Martin yet? Probably not, because him and I have something in common, Martin. It's our first time here, right, Martin? First time here. There's Martin sitting next to my wife right there, and so it's his first time here. And so what, what, what the scriptures are doing is getting us to remember things, okay? Things that we haven't, or I'm sorry, things that we already know, okay? And so for those of you who know the Lord and have known the Lord a long time, let's just see how Peter lays out this passage for us to stir us up, okay? Everybody got it? Flip back if you with, with, uh, with me to chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see this same truth, but in different light. Look at verse 12, if you would, please, of 1 Peter. 2 Peter, I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in what? Okay, see it? How many of you see that connection? So he's saying, I, I want to put you in remembrance, okay? Here's what Peter says, of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. So he's talking to people that already know these things, and not only do they already know these things, they're kind of already like established, okay? They say, I've, I've got this, but yet Peter felt the burden, as he'll indicate, that the Lord has revealed to him, at least in this context, that he's about ready to put off this tabernacle, that is, he's about ready to go to be with the Lord, and by the way, a good reminder for all of us that this tabernacle is just temporary. Come on now. Did anybody take any ibuprofen today? This is a good reminder for some of us, right? I took some ibuprofen today because my back is hurting. Is this what happens when you get old? I'm like 41. Is this what happens? Matthew, this is what's going to happen to you. 
when you get 40 thou ibuprofen, right? And you start feeling about this, these, this sinful, cursed tabernacle. Peter's like, I'm about ready to put this tabernacle on. Absent with the body is what? Present with the Lord. Absent with the body is present with the Lord. So he says, I, I, I'm, I'm calling you to remembrance, verse 12. Verse 13, yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle. Here he goes. To stir you up. See it? You guys see that? Peter says, stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be, uh, be able, after my decease, to have these things always in what? Remembrance. Now, we probably won't have time, to be honest, to get through this tonight, but I'll give you, I think, some form of, uh, we, we, we'll call it an outline, but here's what Peter's going to walk us through in the next little bit. He says, I want to stir you up by reminding you, number one, about God's timetable. God's timetable. He'll, he'll deal with this, but I think we all understand that everything started with God. That he, what makes him God is he doesn't need anything. He is transcendent above everything. He has no beginning. He has no end. In the beginning, as we know of time and space and what we know as reality, God was before that. Okay. He's always been. And so Peter's going to help us walk through a little bit of God's timetable, especially when scoffers start questioning God's character. You'll watch it. You'll see the text. So not only is Peter going to stir us up reminding about the, the, the reality that God has been working his plan since the moment he spoke this world into existence. Can you follow that tonight? That we get frustrated, we get upset, we lose sight, we get panicked, we get distracted. But hey, listen, the God in heaven who controls this world, who spoke into existence, who upholds all things by the very word of his power, every moment, in every millisecond, of all of time, he is sovereign in control. And, and we need to hear that. And we need to hear it again and again and again and again. And then he talks about his heartbeat. So not only God's timetable, Peter eventually lays out what God's heartbeat is. What is his main purpose? And I think that should stir us up a little bit because we get so distracted. We get so distracted. John, mute sound guy. Everybody know John the sound guy? He's a really nice guy. You should have him be the sound guy. Okay, so John the sound guy. Hey, listen, we get distracted. We all do. And God says, no. This is what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and why I'm not doing certain things. My heartbeat, okay? And then if we have time, God's expectation for his people. So look at, let's look at God's timetable, if you would, please. Verse 2, let's keep reading in chapter 3. Everybody good so far? All right, somebody back there is good. I'm good. Let's go. Verse 2, that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now, once again, um, a little bit of Bible study tonight, and I, I think we're trying to preach, declare God's truth, and call us to action, certainly. But hey, listen, when he starts talking about being stirred up, the first thing he talks about in verse 2 is the Word of God. You'll hopefully, in today's crazy day, and even among, we would say, broader evangelicals or those somewhat Bible-ish, gospel-ish, you know, there's enough Jesus to make it somewhat palatable, 
you know, definitely not our flavor of church. But they're always trying to stir us up with a lot of other things. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're getting us stirred up by politics and about this and about this. When what I've come to realize is that a true, genuine follower of Jesus always gets pointed back to the Word. And it's the Word that also becomes the basis for all stirring us up. And so the very fact that you're in a Baptist church, a Bible-believing church, okay, this is a good thing, okay, because there can be a lot of fluff out there in a lot of different ways. But yet, Peter calls these disciples back to the Word. And that's what he says in verse 2. Notice that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord and Savior, um, apostles of the Lord and Savior. Notice what he just did. Matthew, this is really cool. He's talking about the words of the prophets, which is kind of like the old what? And he takes the Old Testament and says, this is the word of God. And then what does he mention next in that verse? Yeah, the commandments of the apostles, which would be God through G or Jesus through the apostles gave us kind of the New Testament, right? So he takes the Old Testament, the prophets, and the apostles, New Testament, and brings them up on the same level. Now, you and I don't appreciate that as much because we just pick up our Bible and say, well, there's the Word of God. Well, back in this time, th as Peter was writing this, okay, it needed to be emphasized that the apostles had the Word of God. This is how Jesus gave the Word, okay? So once again, to stir us up, he points us back to the what? To the Word. The Old Testament and now the New Testament. By the way, by the way, when was Peter written? Does anybody know? Like, Mr. Wilson, I've got to know all this, like, stuff, like, coming to church tonight, okay? So it was about, it was about 61 to, there's some disagreements sometimes by scholars, okay? So let's just say this, 30 years, 30 years after Jesus' ascension, okay? Jesus was raised from the dead, and God ascended him, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. 30 years later is when Peter is writing this and elevating the word of God, because it's very important, because know in verse 3 what's happening here. Knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days... And, and he begins to discuss now the timetable issue that I've pointed out. In the last days, scoffers. What's a scoffer? I mean, come on. There's like nothing new under the sun. Anybody ever made fun of the Bible today? You, you crazy Bible-believing people, you know, that believe that God created this world in six literal days, right? And the Bible's the word of God. I mean, some of you crazy people show up to church three times a week, don't you? Because you believe Jesus is alive, right? He's a salvation. And, and this whole concept of being made fun of and, and, and being on the other side of the world, it's like there's nothing new, okay? Because there were scoffers back then, and these scoffers were walking after their own desires, and these scoffers were, don't miss it, what were they doing in verse 4? They were saying, where is the promise of his coming? Hey, Peter. You know, you've been talking about this Jesus for 30 years now. Like three decades have gone by when you said he ascended and he hasn't come back yet. Well, isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ said? He said, if I go, I will come again. As he left and the angel pointed out, as Jesus ascended in that same manner, he is going to come back in that same manner. So this return of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of this has been preached now for 30 years. And it hasn't happened yet, CJ. And what begins to happen? All the scoffers are going, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. God's not going to keep his word. God's not going to keep his promise. God's not going to fulfill it. God's timetable is off. What are you talking about, you crazy people? That's what was going on here in this context. And yet the people of God in this room 
who are born again. We know the Bible is the word of God. We know Jesus Christ came the first time. We know he's the eternal son, and we know he's coming again. We know that God will fulfill his word, and now he begins to hone in on God's timetable to get us to realize, hey, listen, everybody calm down, don't panic. They've been making fun of Jesus back then. They're making fun of Jesus now. They're calling us crazy because we think that God is going to fulfill his promises. Nothing new under the sun. Peter says, hang tight, hang tight. You see, when you question somebody's promise, do you know what you're really questioning? How many of you have ever had somebody make a promise to you and keep it? Okay, how many of you have ever had somebody make a promise to you and not keep it? Okay, so here's how promises kind of work, right? So let's say I'm going to promise uh, my friend Martin over there because we just met first time in church. Martin, let's say I was going to promise you a million dollars after the service. He's like, Mr. Wilson, you come preach at the church. I'll visit here anytime you want. Okay. And so Martin, now I could be very good-willed and, and kind of maybe my motive might be good. But you see, not only does my motive have to be good, I got to be a good guy. I actually have to have the resource to back it up. Okay, when it comes to promises, both have to be in the equation. Now, I wish I could give you a million bucks, Martin. I'm not, so don't get excited. Okay, but then all of a sudden, like, let's say Matthew actually had a million bucks, but he wasn't a good guy like me because I'm going to beat you in dodgeball afterwards. We already talked about that. Okay, let's say you were actually had the resource. You just didn't want to do it. You see, both have to be true. So let me ask you this question. When you begin to question God's promises, are you questioning his character or his resource? Yeah. I don't know about you, but I do not think that any, anybody of Adam's race, I just said Adam's race because there's only one race. We need to make sure as Christians, by the way, we don't say racism or races. Because that gives the idea that there's multiple races. There's one, and it's Adam's race. I don't think anybody that has ever been born from Adam should have the audacity to question the character of Almighty God. But that's what they're doing. And so Peter's trying to get the believers to just think through this, have a mindful approach about God's timetable. Okay, so here's what he's going to do. Notice the text continues in this line. Verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Kind of like, hey, Peter, you've been saying things are going to happen, but it just seems like everything's continuing as it is. Verse 5. For this they willingly are what? Yeah, well, that just kind of describes an unbeliever. Okay, willfully ignorant. Okay, they're ignoring willfully what is happening in planet earth. Notice what he says. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Uses some pretty unique language there, but what event is he talking about here? Yeah, creation. (laughs) This God, who literally spoke things from his very word, things out of nothing to something, in the most dynamic complexity, beautiful of, of what we know as creation. And we don't have time to unpack all of the design and power, but we do know, folks, come on now, come on now, he created it. And when you start messing with creation, 
like this public high school system has in our country for 60, 80 years, and now you got furries running around our public high schools, good night, what in the world? What do you expect? You take God out of this, it doesn't make sense. Period, dot, end. So Peter says, hey, listen, where's the promise of his coming? Listen, just remember that God's the one who started it all by his very word, by his very power. So he highlights creation. I wish I could just spend all day talking about that, but y'all got it? He, creation. Look what he says next. Whereby the, the world that then was being overflowed with water, what? Yeah. So what's the next event he talks about? You want to be stirred up? Peter says you grab a hold of these things. God created the world, and it's not a billion years ago. From Adam to Noah, about 1,700 years. Did you know that? They ran the genealogy charts. They said there could be as many as a billion people on planet Earth. From Adam to Noah. God saw that the world was evil, was wicked. He said, I'm going to judge it. Save Noah, we know, and his family. And God brought judgment. It could have been up to a billion people. Think about that. Think about that. A billion people perished because they rejected God. Listen, folks, this isn't God's first rodeo. And I don't mean that to be like a negative and bring God down. I'm just saying that the creator of the universe, who has already destroyed this world by a flood, and you're questioning his timetable? what Peter's saying. That's his point. Look back, if you would. He does this in chapter uh, 2. Flip over to chapter 2. I might get through point number 1, or we ain't playing dodgeball here. We've got to figure something out here, folks. Let's go. Come on. Verse 4. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God spared not thee, the angels that sinned. Now he's bringing up this whole, like, I don't know, this war in heaven. And, and but the CJ, I mean, there's not a lot in Scripture about it, right? There's some, we can speculate, put some stuff together about the angels. We just know that there was angels, and, and Satan, and Lucifer, and he took a third of them, and there was a big war, and when did that happen? And people argue, I don't know, but I'll tell you what, it happened. It happened. It happened. God already dealt with the angels. He already dealt with the angels, and these scoffers are sitting here looking up after Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, saying, hey, is he coming back? It's been 30 years. It's been 30 years. God, where are you? Right? And God's sitting back, the creator God, who literally brought judgment upon this world in Noah's flood, who already dealt with the war in heaven, right? And I think it's mentioned uh, Noah in verse 5 of that same chapter, 2 Peter chapter 2, see that? And also verse 6, turning the cities of what? Yeah, okay, so here's the deal. God has been carrying his timetable since day one through all these things. We don't have time, but if you study Second uh, Peter chapter 3, he's going to talk about some other things, some future things, right? I mean, he kind of got the return of the Lord in there. He talks about, Brother C.J., the new heavens and the new earth. One day, the God who made heaven and earth will be making a new heaven and a new earth. Come on now. This is our hope. This is righteousness. This is what we're hoping for. His kingdom is coming. This is all going to happen. And all these events are laid out in 2 Peter chapter 3 to get believers to just stop and take a look at what's going on. That it may seem frustrating, okay? And you know what I didn't see in the text of Scripture is I read through all these timetables of God's wonderful economy. And I don't mean to, to 
to be the guest guy that just comes in and throws this stuff down and leaves, but I didn't see the 2024 election in there. Come on now. Hey, listen, I'm a patriot. I'm frustrated just like you are. We are salt. We are light. We will do our best. I appreciate your investment of capital connection, but America is not mentioned here. Okay, because sometimes we get so caught up without seeing the big picture of all eternity and the God of heaven and earth from this, th these ages before time and the ages after time. And yet, hey, come on, folks. He loves us and cares about us and, and is so con concerned about us, even this group of Christians in this room saying, I have your life. Everything in your life I'm using for your good and for my glory. That's the God of heaven and earth. And that should stir us up to have rock-solid faith that everything's working out just fine. Hey, we get frustrated, we get distracted, we, we need to pray and talk to the Lord, work through some of that. I get that, I'm like you, I'm like you, I gotta work through it sometimes. But then we come back to the scripture and I get stirred up knowing that my God's timetable is exactly where it needs to be. And one day, one day, where is the promise of his coming? One day. Jesus Christ will split that sky wide open and set his foot on the Mount of Olives and he'll reign on this world. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever, right? Jesus Christ, his timetable, his timetable. So if you're a little, little slack, struggling a little bit, just remember that. Really quick, God's heartbeat. I think it's all the time we'll have. I'll just have to mention it. So not only does Peter walk through this, he mentions God's heartbeat. Look at verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. Okay, so you got to follow me here. Uh, they're questioning God's promise. Everybody got it? And Peter's trying to stir us up. So now Peter is drawing the connection between God and his word. It was by his very word that he created the world, world, and now this word is his promise, this promise they say he's not keeping, that God is slack, meaning he's not keeping his promise. And then Peter begins to tell us why God has not returned yet, why Jesus hasn't returned yet. What does he say in verse 9? But is long-suffering to us word, not willing that what? That any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. You know what God's heartbeat has always been? Yeah. Perish. Do we really get that? Andrew, do we really get that? There's a guy coming to my church up at Hope Lake. His name's Dylan. He's been there three Sundays now, okay? He's kind of talked about God, but I'm not sure of his salvation. And I got another meeting with him when we get back this week. You know why the Lord hasn't come back? Because he wants Dylan to be saved. 26-year-old kid up in Hope Lake, where I'm at. Last summer, 150 kids got saved. We're anticipating, actually, a snow camp, Last weekend, there's three kids who got saved. Okay. Hey, listen, you can be a part of it if you want. That doesn't mean you're always going to save millions of people saved, but nobody's going to save if you don't open up your mouth and speak Jesus to them. And God's heartbeat has always been souls. And every Christian and every church and every ministry that lines up with God's heartbeat, God's power comes down to see the evangelization of the lost and the edification of God's people. It just always has been that way. But you and I both know, because I'm a real person too, that sometimes we just get a little distracted, don't we? Come on now. We just get a little distracted. And we just need sometimes to be reminded to keep the main thing the main thing 
that God says, the reason I have not fulfilled my promise is because all the, the fullness of the Gentiles have not come in, that I have lost people out there. And there are lost people out there that Jesus wants to save. And it's our responsibility to be a part of that. Now, I can jump up and down if you want. I'm a camp guy. I guess I could. And I could run around all day long. Or I could just talk to you as a Christian and just say, hey, you really want to get stirred up? Just start thinking about people perishing. They're not going to be in hell for 100 years. They're not going to be in hell for 1,000 years. Hell is not a long time. Hell is forever. And it is the just condemnation of them, and by the way, it's the just condemnation if you and I got what we deserve too. Isn't that right, Pastor? I was reading about the Israelites in Egypt, and like we've read that story, we've read the Exodus DJ so many times, we kind of think Israel's like the good guy, and Egypt's the bad guy. You know what I mean? And then you stop and read the passages that God really tells Israel what they were really like. So the only reason Israel, the only good thing you got going for you is my mercy. Yeah, Egypt deserved it, but so do you. <laughs> and yet, everybody in this room, all we are is sinners saved by grace. Because we were perishing once too. And Jesus had compassion on us. Didn't he? Didn't he? He saved you, redeemed you, called you, forgave your sins, gave you eternal life, and for me, at age 17, in the route that I was heading, and the sin consequences that were going to be a part of my life, you think my sweet, godly wife, sitting over here, and my two boys, and the opportunity I have to serve Jesus at Camp Kobiak, that would not all be a part of my life if it wasn't for the God who saved me and called me, right? And we forget about that. We forget about that. And Peter's just trying to stir us up. He's just trying to stir us up by reminding us about God's timetable. Everybody got it? God's in charge. He's coming again. Just keep believing, keep trusting, keep giving, keep living. Base your life on it. Raise your kids on it. Give your money towards it. Do it, do it, do it to the day you meet Jesus Christ. Okay, that's faith. That's real faith. And just be, be reminded that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. The some men count slackness. He's long-suffering not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hey, God's expectation for his people is in these verses, but you're going to have to read it yourself tonight before you go to bed, okay? Because we're going we're gonna to crash land this sermon, like I said, all right? Hey, listen, if God's touched your heart, just respond to him. Be stirred up. Stay faithful to the Lord. We're all in this together. Appreciate the opportunity I have to share God's word. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask Pastor, would you be willing to come at this time?